I could win that war in a week. I just don't want to kill 10 million people. Does that make sense to you? I don't want to kill 10 million people. Um, thank you? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on the great AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets, so you have no excuses. We can be heard on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, boy, oh boy, where do we even start? Donald Trump is not just breaking America at this point. He seems to be trying to break the entire world. Begging, uh, w- once more, begging the question as to how long Democrats in Congress think it is wise to go without impeaching this man. We'll see if Robert Mueller's testimony before the U.S. House on Wednesday makes any difference in that regard. But let's start with uh, how Donald Trump is breaking everywhere else as well as here. India's foreign minister has firmly denied Donald Trump's claim that the U.S. president was invited by the Indian government to mediate in the Kashmir dispute. That's the long disputed mountainous region that separates India from Pakistan. Uh, following a furious response from opposition members of parliament today, Trump's remarks made while sitting alongside the Pakistani pr- uh, prime minister Imran Khan at the White House on Monday provoked uproar in the Indian parliament and demands for the prime minister Narendra Modi to respond, according to The Guardian in the UK. While Pakistan has called for third party involvement over the long running Kashmir dispute, India has always insisted that the issue can only be resolved through direct talks with Islamabad. If Modi did, in fact, ask Trump to intervene as a mediator, as Trump claims, well, that would be a huge problem for the Indian prime minister. But remember, Donald Trump is a liar and just makes things up. 
in this case, things that have now caused an enormous rift inside the Indian parliament today. Kashmir is in the Himalayas. It's claimed by both India and Pakistan in full and ruled in part by both. An insurgency has waxed and waned on the uh, Indian-administered side for some three decades, and tens of thousands of people have been killed in that conflict. Trump's suggestions were quickly rebutted by Modi's administration in Delhi on Monday night, and following heated exchanges in Parliament on Tuesday, the foreign minister issued a strenuous denial, saying, quote, it has been India's consistent position that all outstanding issues with Pakistan are discussed only bilaterally, he said, amid jeering from members of parliament. Opposition members walked out in protest, demanding a response from Prime Minister Modi himself. During his first visit to Washington as Pakistan's prime minister this week, Imran Khan told Donald Trump, quote, you will have the prayers of over a billion people if you can mediate or resolve this issue. Khan later appeared on Fox News, where he said that Pakistan and India were poles apart. He said, quote, bilaterally, there will never be an end to the Kashmir conflict. I feel I really feel that India should come to the table. The U.S. could play a big part. He said President Trump certainly can play a big part. Responding to Khan's comments, then Trump said on Monday that he had a similar request from India. Adding, if you want me to mediate or arbitrate, I'd be willing to do it. But of course, India disputes that. Analysts believe it's more likely that Trump misinterpreted India's calls for it to place greater international pressure on Pakistan to crack down on extremism and terror attacks in the disputed territory. If Modi had, in fact, asked for U.S. Uh, intervention, this would amount to India, according to the uh, associate director of the Institute of Peace and Conflict Studies in Delhi, quote, changing its policy on third party involvement entirely and turning it on and turning it on its head. In other words, it seems unlikely that Donald Trump is telling the truth. Democratic Congressman Brad Sherman, another Brad that we have had on this program, if <laughs> I recall, and a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee said the uh, said that he apologized to the Indian ambassador in Washington for Trump's statement, saying, quote, everyone knows Prime Minister Modi would never suggest such a thing. Trump's statement is amateurish and delusional and embarrassing, he tweeted. Well, sounds like just another day in Washington, D.C., doesn't it? Hi, oh, Desi. Yeah. Hello. It, uh, it reminds yeah. me of the time that Trump also lied about the Finland prime minister telling him that they sweep oh, their yes. forests. That's and right. the Finland prime minister said no. No, we didn't. No, I did never. I never said that. <laughs> Following his uh, his remark, Trump's remarks on this, the U.S. State Department tried to calm the fallout. Alice Wells, the acting assistant Acting Assistant Secretary of the Department's Bureau of South and Central Asian Affairs said, quote, while Kashmir is a bilateral issue for both parties to discuss, the Trump administration welcomes Pakistan and India sitting down and the United States stands ready to assist. Should they ask? Which they didn't. <laughs> uh, she didn't mention that part. That was no. me. Uh, but while uh, Trump was figuratively, figuratively blowing up the Indian parliament, and it's important that I note 
he's only done so figurative, figuratively so far, blowing up the Indian parliament and uh, and the already extremely volatile r- relations at the border between the two nuclear armed nations. He was also making things worse on the next border over between Pakistan and Afghanistan, which separately called on Tuesday for an explanation of Trump's comments in which he said that he could win the Afghan war by wiping out Afghanistan, but he did not want to kill 10 million people. Well, that's admirable of him, isn't it? If we wanted to fight a war in Afghanistan and win it, I could win that war in a week. I just don't want to kill 10 million people. Does that make sense to you? I don't want to kill 10 million people. I have plans on Afghanistan that if I wanted to win that war, Afghanistan would be wiped off the face of the earth. It would be gone. It would be over in literally in 10 days. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to go that route. Well, thank you very much. And by the way, sir, you're very manly. Uh, What is this? I have plans like like he can do this on his own. I mean, we could wipe out every country in the world if we want. Exactly. Now, now I don't speak Trump, but I think <laughs> yes. that what he's saying is that the Defense Department, in what is what they do is they plan for every single possible scenario. Right. So maybe they planned a scenario of, okay, well, what if we just bomb the hell out of everything? Right. And they told him, yes, we have a plan, and he has now adopted it as his plan because they're his generals. Well, yes. Well, I mean, imagine. Imagine had... Uh, the Iranian president said, well, you know, we could wipe the United States off the map if we wanted to. We could wipe Israel off the map if we wanted to in 10 days, but we don't want to do that. We don't want to kill all those people. Imagine had they said something like that, the, the, the repercussions and the reverberations that would have gone on for days and weeks and months and years with a statement like that. But our president, oh, yeah, we could wipe Afghanistan off the map if we wanted to, but... Because I'm so kind and benevolent, I won't do so. Those remarks followed his uh, meeting with the uh, Pakistani prime minister at which the U.S. president voiced optimism that Pakistan could broker a political settlement to end the uh, nearly 18-year-old war in Afghanistan, which Donald Trump called a uh, 19-year-old war. Senior Afghan politicians largely refrained from comment after those intemperate marks from the president, despite the presidential palace's demand for clarification of what do you mean you could wipe us off the map in 10 days if you wanted to. But former intelligence uh, chief of uh, of Afghanistan uh, noted your insulting message to Afghanistan is either accept the Pakistani proposal for peace or eventually you may have to use nukes. That's how the former intelligence chief saw those comments from the United States president. Well, Monday went well in uh, Trump foreign policy so far. Uh, What will Tuesday bring? Oh, look, it's brought Trump's pal Boris Johnson, the only man, by the way, with the worst hair than Donald Trump in the U.K., uh, has brought him to be the nation's next prime minister so we can help break that country, too. So Trump may also have uh, help breaking the entire world from our special friends in the U.K. Boris Johnson, Britain's brash former foreign secretary and standard bearer for leaving the European Union, on Tuesday won the contest to succeed Prime Minister Theresa May with his party handing the job of resolving the country's three-year Brexit nightmare to one of its most polarizing politicians. That would be 
Boris Johnson. Johnson beat Jeremy Hunt, the, uh, his successor as foreign secretary, in the battle for the leadership of Britain's governing conservative party, winning with a substantial 66 percent of the postal vote that was held among its members. But please note, this was not a vote of the U.K. citizenry. Don't blame them, at least not directly here. It was a vote of the Conservative Party membership choosing their own leader to replace the resigning Theresa May, who stepped down after being able to, not being able to strike a, a Brexit deal with the uh, European Union that the uh, British Parliament could approve of. In its last uh, general election, the one where Everybody voted. That was back in 2017. At that time, the conservative party, Theresa May's, now Boris Johnson's conservative party, was selected at that time by the U.K. to lead the government, though they did so with a uh, very uh, a slim minority of the seats that required them to form a governing coalition with some other parties, some smaller parties. So unless Boris Johnson now to be the new prime minister, unless he can save the day, which frankly seems quite unlikely, a new general election may not be too far off in the UK. But that's just me projecting and um, predicting, which I try to avoid. Uh, Although the uh, conservatives working majority in parliament is very small, it appears to be enough to ensure that Johnson will succeed Prime Minister May as the Prime Minister on Wednesday, now that he has been selected by his own party as their new leader. If so, as presumed, Johnson will take over at one of the most critical moments in Britain's recent history, immediately facing the toughest challenge of his career to manage his nation's exit from the European Union in little more than three months. Uh, Theresa May couldn't do it in, uh, what, three years? But uh, Boris Johnson will now do it in three months, he vows. But his policy swerves, according to The New York Times. His lack of attention to detail and contradictory statements leave the country guessing how things will unfold over these next three months. Well, good. If we get a, a... You know, Donald Trump uh, here in the U.S., it seems only fair that the U.K. should have to have one, too. What could possibly go wrong? Johnson told the party meeting in London on Tuesday at which the vote results were uh, were announced. He said, I know that there will be people around the place who will question the wisdom of your decision. And this is the guy who won saying this to the guy who elected to the people who elected him. I know there's people who will question the wisdom of your decision. And there may even be some people here who still wonder quite what they have done. This is the guy who won that, he said, after defeating uh, Jeremy Hunt for the post. Uh, While Boris has a mandate now from his party's dues paying members, at least the hard facts that brought down Prime Minister May have not changed. Deep divisions on Brexit among the conservatives in parliament, implacable opposition from other parties and the insistence of European officials that they will make no major concessions with the U.K., Johnson has doubled down on Brexit, promising to take Britain out of the European Union by the October 31 deadline, quote, do or die. If necessary, risking the economic dislocation of leaving without any agreement rather than seeking an extension. That, in turn, is likely to cause absolute chaos come, well, I guess, November 1, particularly at the border between Ireland and 
And uh, Northern Ireland, which, short of an agreement, would now become fortified and militarized again. Since uh, Northern Ireland is part of the UK, Ireland is not. And what had been an open border, thanks to the formation of the European Union, after years of violent conflict, will now need to be sealed up again, potentially leading to violence once again. Who knows? Not to mention what could be an economic disaster for the UK in the bargain, but Boris will fix it. Come hell or high water, what did he say? Do or die. Well, he'll do something. Don't worry. He'll take care of this. He said, we're going to get Brexit done on October 31. We're going to take advantage of all the opportunities that it will bring in a new spirit of can do. And we're going to once again to believe in ourselves. He promised on Tuesday, like some slumbering giant, he said, we're going to rise and ping off the guy ropes of doubt and negativity. He might as well have added that he was going to make Great Britain great again. Taking Britain out of the European bloc without an agreement appears to be Johnson's backup plan at this point. But Parliament has voted in non-binding motions against a what's called a no-deal exit. And opposition to a no-deal exit seems to be growing. Several ministers have already announced plans to quit the government saying they could not support any policy that might lead to Brexit without an agreement. They were joined on Tuesday by Ann Milton, who gave up her job as an education minister just before Johnson's victory was declared. The most prominent politician to announce his resignation is the chancellor of the exchequer. That would be Philip Hammond. He is expected to play a significant role in trying to stop a no-deal Brexit. Others are expected to resign as well from the cabinet on Wednesday, including Rory Stewart, who said on Twitter that he would be leaving his job as International Development Secretary. So they're all running... Uh, Rats from a sinking ship, well, you I don't, Yeah, maybe so. Maybe. Yeah, that might be right. I don't know. Other nations like Ireland would be hit very hard. One report said that the costs of... No deal would be four times as large for the British than for the rest of the European Union collectively. So, of course, Brexit is a great idea, especially a no deal Brexit. Uh, that no, uh, no wonder Donald Trump has been behind it because it will break, well, at least uh, Great Britain in this case. Donald Trump tweeted congratulations to Boris Johnson on Tuesday, adding, quote, he will be great. And when has Donald Trump ever been wrong about such things? Uh, just ask the dozens of top Trump officials who Trump said would also be great, but who have had to step down amid scandal and failure and corruption and utter incompetence. So uh, that's how Donald Trump's breaking the world today. But back here at home, things are going much, much better. We now actually have a Senate-confirmed Secretary of Defense once again. And like many of the officials in uh, Trump's deepening swamp, he's uh, this guy is also a former lobbyist for the industry that he will now be in charge of. The Senate confirmed Mark Esper as secretary of defense on Tuesday, ending the longest period by far, as The New York Times notes, that the Pentagon has been without a permanent leader at its helm. Esper is uh, was an army infantryman who uh, fought in the Persian Gulf War of 1991. And then he went on to become a lobbyist for the military contractor Raytheon. 
And then he went on to head the the, uh, Department of Defense. He replaces Jim Mattis, who resigned back in December during a dispute over pulling American troops out of Syria. It was only December. It seems forever ago that Mattis stepped down. In Trump years, yes. In receiving the uh, Senate nod, Esper has succeeded, where Patrick Shanahan, president's original pick to replace Mattis, where he did not succeed because Shannon, uh, Shanahan, as you may recall, amidst all of the news that goes on constantly every day, so you're forgiven if you don't remember, but Shanahan, Shanahan abruptly resigned last month, pulled his, he was the acting uh, defense secretary, but he was not nominated by the Senate. He pulled his nomination and resigned before the Senate confirmation hearing was even scheduled because of news reports that revealed details of a particularly ugly and violent divorce back in 2011, which, like all of Trump, uh, the Trump administration's other appointments, either Trump, the Trump people did not bother to vet or they did vet and they just did not care. And they nominated the guy anyway. So uh, after nominating him anyway, uh, and once news reports broke about this, uh, these ugly incidents uh, with the Shanahan family, Shanahan pulled out and Esper stepped in. He now takes control of the country's 1.2 million active duty uh, troops and what the Times calls one of the largest militaries in the world. Actually, it is the largest military in the world, at least by spending Not one of, but the largest, and it is not even close, with uh, U.S. military spending dwarfing the next uh, 20 countries or so on the list combined. Now, China and, yes, India have more active military members than the U.S., but when it comes to spending, ain't nobody close to the U.S. All of this as the Trump administration is wrestling with the Results of its so-called maximum pressure campaign of economic sanctions on Iran. I hear that's going very well. Esper will now add his voice to the senior Trump national security advisors who are seeking to influence the president on a whole range of foreign policy issues, including how to end the war in Afghanistan. Blow it up. I say blow it up. Wipe it off the face of the map. (laughs) And how to negotiate with with Turkey which is a longtime NATO uh, member and ally, but they have recently gone against American wishes in buying a missile system from Russia, not from us, not from Raytheon. How dare they? How influential Esper will be able to be, however, is one of the biggest questions right now. Uh, Mattis, the last of Trump's great generals, by the way, that he was so proud of when he hired them for top administration roles, they're all gone now. They're all gone. My great generals, remember that? Anyway, Mattis, uh, before he left, was widely viewed as at least a voice of reason and global stability in a chaotic administration. Shanahan, who was nominated but never confirmed, was a former Boeing executive, and by contrast, he was seen as far more amenable to White House directives Unlike Shanahan, Esper joins Trump's senior advisors with a solid background in military affairs, at least, and a broad understanding of the alliances that the U.S. has maintained throughout the Cold War era. Well, that is good. 
I realize it's, uh, you know, low-hanging fruit here, slim pickings, but we'll take what we can yeah. get here. Yeah, somebody who actually has an understanding of how these things work about, you know, our, our alliances would be would be nice. That'd be nice. Uh, however, the exit of Mattis and the Pentagon's seven months without a permanent secretary have reportedly diminished the department's voice in internal White House meetings. That while the National Security, Security Advisor John Bolton and the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo have largely run national security policy all by themselves in the months since Mattis has left. Esper's challenge now, according to national security experts, will be to work uh, to get the Pentagon's views once again represented among those strong personalities like Bolton and Pompeo. And in other domestic news out of D.C., and by the way, this is just one of the many reasons that I, I take great measures to avoid calling Republicans conservatives when they are not actually conservative, and why it drives me just crazy that mainstream corporate media fails to do the same. They are not conservatives. They are Republicans. They are right-wingers. They are wingnuts, if you will, if you prefer, but they are not conservative by virtually any definition of the word. But, you know, the branding plays well for conservative conservatism that plays well with the American people. So all of these Republicans claim to be conservatives. That's fine, but they are not conservative. And what really galls me is that the media and, yes, even Democrats Play along with this and grant them this gift of using that word. Well, we disagree with the conservatives. They're not conservatives. They use that word to describe them when they should not. But uh, anyway, I digress in yet another one of my lonely long wars. Anyway, here's why they're not conservative. White House and congressional negotiators reached an accord on a two-year budget on Monday night that would raise spending by $320 billion over existing caps that are now in place and allow the government to keep borrowing for the next two years without hitting a debt ceiling and having to vote on that debt ceiling. And presuming Donald Trump does not change his mind after Fox News tells him to in uh, the next few hours, and if the far-right wingers in Congress don't decide to pretend that they are conservatives again suddenly, this will you know, most likely avert the type of fiscal crisis that we have become used to every six months to a year in, uh, in recent years. So that part, again, is good. All of this, however, will splash more red ink on an already surging deficit under the control of the so-called conservative president and the so-called conservatives in Congress who ran up the debt and the deficit in, uh, in Trump's first two years when they had complete unified control of Congress. Now, I should make clear, I don't mind that we are uh, increasing spending, at least if it's for things that we need to increase spending on. I don't know that we need to increase it on defense because, you know, I hear as is we could blow up Afghanistan and wipe them off the map in just 10 days. So I'm pretty sure we don't need any more money if we have that kind of power already. Right. So I'm not, you know, against uh, increasing spending on domestic issues in particular, but to see these people calling themselves conservatives and approving $320 billion more over the next two years without a, you know, without a problem, 
they ain't conservatives. If passed by Congress, and this still has to be uh, passed by, uh, by Congress and then signed by President Trump, the deal would stop a potential debt default this fall and avoid automatic spending cuts kicking in next year. Well, that's good in one sense, not good in another. I'll get to that in a moment. Trump announced on Twitter last night, he said, I am pleased to announce that a deal has been struck with the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on a two-year budget and debt ceiling with no poison pills. He said this was a real compromise in order to give another big victory to our great military and vets. Now, the deal, as the time notes, is another sign that a capital once consumed by fiscal worries, at least under a Democratic president, simply no longer cares, even as the government's deficit now approaches $1 trillion a year under Donald Trump. This agreement would lift the debt ceiling high enough to allow the government to keep borrowing for two more years, punting the next showdown on the debt ceiling past the 2020 elections, which means uh, that the next fight will drop once again like another turd in the punch bowl during the very first year of the next presidential administration, which will be a big problem if that administration is Democratic When Republicans will once again, and you can write this down, mark this prediction. Here's a prediction that I'm uh, pretty confident in. Republicans will once again pretend to be conservatives at that point if there is a Democrat in the White House and oppose new spending and demand cuts because the debt and the deficit is all just too high. Of course, It will all be less of a problem if Donald Trump wins re-election and the go-along-to-get-along Democrats give up the bargaining leverage of the debt ceiling for, well, why not? The full four years of Donald Trump's second term. Why should they be so hard on on the Republicans? Why should they use that as a bargaining chip? Now, in truth, they should not use the debt ceiling as a bargaining chip because it's stuff that we have already paid for. And we have to pay for it. We have to borrow to pay for the things that we have already spent. So they shouldn't use it as a debt ceiling in theory. But since Republicans do so all the time in order to get what they want, I don't know that uh, unilaterally disarming is a good idea, but that's what Democrats do. The agreement was uh, negotiated largely by Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, and it would raise spending by about $320 billion. In a joint news release, Pelosi and Schumer praised, quote, robust funding for critical domestic priorities. They said that since the 2017 fiscal year, they had pushed domestic spending up by $100 billion. The deal includes about $2.5 billion for the 2020 census, and, uh, and uh, domestic programs would see about $10 billion more than military programs over the next two years. The negotiators hope to enact this deal, however, before Congress leaves for its August recess next week. Trouble could still come if Congress drafts detailed, uh, when they draft detailed spending bills that must then win the president's signature. 
meantime, uh, since the first of the year, and you'll remember it was at the first of the year that started with the longest government shutdown ever because Trump refused to fund the government without money for a border wall. Remember that? Well, money for the border wall apparently has fallen away from this deal altogether. Apparently he's given up on that. I guess Mexico will be taking care of it. Meantime, uh, since then... Since Donald Trump has taken office, the federal debt has ballooned to $22 trillion, despite economic growth that Donald Trump loves to cite. The federal deficit, nonetheless, for this fiscal year has now reached $747 billion, and there are still two months to go in the fiscal year. That is a 23% increase from the year before. Let me say that again. The federal deficit for this fiscal year, uh, the deficit, in other words, we are spending $747 billion more than we are actually taking in. That is a 23% increase from the year before. And this is under a so-called conservative president. And by the way, under a a budget deal that was uh, struck when Republicans controlled both houses of Congress. You see what I'm saying? You're beginning to see what I'm saying about these people not being uh, conservative? (laughs) Is it starting to make sense? Uh, In case it's not, let me just underscore. During the first two years of the Trump administration, the debt increased by more than $2 trillion, in part because of the 10-year, $1.5 trillion tax cut that Trump signed into law. Along with large spending increases. This with the approval of those so-called conservatives in Congress who used to furiously pretend that Barack Obama was the biggest spender in U.S. history and that he was bankrupting the country and the government. Trump has repeatedly called for deep spending cuts in the budgets that he submits to Congress, and then he signs several laws that have increased the deficit even further, adding more evidence to the now well-worn cautionary phrase that one should watch what Donald Trump does, not what Donald Trump says. As president, Trump has overseen both a binge in discretionary spending That's the part of the federal budget uh, governed by annual spending bills and a plunge in expected tax revenues as a result of the tax cuts. That, by the way, stands as his signature legislative achievement. His sole signature legislative achievement. Gutting uh, the amount of money that the government has to spend and giving it all back to rich people and mortgaging everyone's future because of it. The uh, federal budget deficit has now uh, increased by an average of 15 percent for each fiscal year that Donald Trump has been in office. Now, Obama, to be fair, he ran large deficits in his first term in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis when the globe was the, the global economy was melting down. You mean when the United States had to step in and prevent the entire global financial system from collapsing? Oh, yeah. yeah back then. But it's in his second term, deficits actually fell by an average of 11 percent per fiscal year in that first Obama term. 
after the uh, previous so-called conservative George W. Bush had helped to blow up the world economy with his so-called conservatism, discretionary spending on military and domestic items rose by about 3% per year on average. In his second term, such spending, however, declined by an, ad- an annual average of nearly 2%. And with increased uh, revenue coming in from a healthy economy under uh, Barack Obama, uh, it helped to cut the the deficit by an average of 11 percent per fiscal year. Trump is currently on pace to increase discretionary spending by an average of nearly 4 percent per year. His tax cuts uh, have not paid for themselves, as he promised. In fact, they have reduced individual and corporate tax revenues by about 8 percent per year compared with what the White House budget forecasters had uh, told us they were going to do when they were passed into law, combined with increased costs from paying interest on a larger national debt. Now, the tax cuts are on pace to add nearly four hundred billion dollars to the national debt during the 2018-2019 fiscal years alone. Four hundred billion dollars. That, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, Still, passage of the budget agreement uh, that was struck on Monday night is not certain. Uh, Pelosi and Mnuchin led the negotiations in private phone calls over the past week. They will have to sell the deal to their parties ahead of an anticipated House vote this week before that chamber leaves on Friday. I suspect that Nancy Pelosi will likely be able to get that through her Democratic House. The Senate may be another uh, issue altogether. They are scheduled to leave, the Senate is, for its uh, recess next week for this long summer recess of six weeks. Uh, Anyway, that should give uh, plenty of time for Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh and Fox News to blow the entire thing up. Again, figuratively, not literally, which is something we have to clarify, it seems, in this... uh, this Trump age. All right, one more. I know, no, I know we're running late. Give me, let me get one more here. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a quick one on the cost of austerity, at least when it comes to health care for Americans and austerity from Republicans, uh, only at least when they're dealing with what is perceived as uh, democratic spending. A new paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research examines. That's a federal agency, by the way. Right. Okay. They uh, examine the effects of Medicaid expansion under. Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, uh, or more to the point, the outcome of GOP-controlled states refusing to take that expansion from the uh, from the federal government, which pays for almost all of it. That political anti-Obama, anti-Obamacare posture has, in fact, had a very big cost in terms of human lives. The unwillingness of these Republican states to take this Medicaid expansion. According to the authors of the new paper, they say our estimates suggest that approximately 15,600 deaths would have been averted had the Affordable Care Act expansions been adopted nationwide as originally intended by the ACA. That was uh, gutted and made to be a voluntary system by the uh, in a compromise, I guess, by the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Thanks, John Roberts. Uh, This highlights, the authors say, an ongoing cost to non-adoption. 
uh, of the Medicaid expansion, and it should be relevant to both state policymakers and their constituents. Well, it should, but as Joan McCarter notes over at Daily Coast, many of those 14 states that still have refused to expand Medicaid to their own residents, many of those states are also suing in federal court right now to have the entire Affordable Care Act struck down, including the Medicaid expansion. Those states and the Republicans who control them have effectively now killed 15,600 Americans that would not have otherwise died. A mass murder of 15,600 Americans. And that mass murder will be expanded, as we discussed last week, if those same Republicans are successful in their lawsuit Uh, being heard right now by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals to kill the entire Affordable Care Act. If so, Ian Milheiser explained on this show last week, uh, studies find that killing the Affordable Care Act entirely would result in an estimated 24,000 Americans dying every single year who otherwise would have lived. That, if Obamacare is ultimately struck down as about 20 Republican states are now pushing for. But, hey, you know, at least they're fiscal hawks and they're really concerned about not ballooning the federal debt and deficit on services that we can't afford, right? Long live GOP conservatism. No matter how many Americans, it kills each and every year. I guess that provide for the general welfare part of the Constitution did not make it into their versions, uh, into their copies. You know, the ones they pull out of their pockets and wave around, at least when a Democrat is in the White House. Quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Back in the U.S., back in the U.S., back in the U.S. is all. That's sort of appropriate. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We will, uh, oh, I didn't mention at the top of the show, Desi Doyen, we've got a Green News report coming up. Yeah. To cheer everyone up. (laughs) Well, we'll try. Why are you laughing? (laughs) It's not going to cheer us up? It's probably the best, most positive news of today. Well, there's that. That's a low bar, too. Yeah, not saying much. So that's coming up. We will also have coverage of Robert Mueller's uh, much-anticipated testimony, whatever it may bring, uh, on Wednesday um, before the U.S. House Judiciary and Intelligence Committee committees. That will be on our next thrilling broadcast. I, for one, I know that I am looking forward to waking up at 5 a.m. to watch the coverage. I suspect you are, too. Desi oh, Doyen? Can't wait. But before we get there, uh, Donald Trump's FBI director, uh, Christopher Wray, testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee chaired by South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham on uh, on Tuesday morning. And this testimony comes on the heels of, yes, an election security bill of sorts that was actually passed by the U.S. Senate last week. 
Now, you may have heard, and it is largely true, that Mitch McConnell has been uh, holding off pretty much any and all bills that might uh, improve our elections in this country. But somehow this one was able to slip through. The Senate passed uh, legislation last week that would make it a federal crime to hack into any voting systems used in a federal election. Apparently that's not illegal already. Uh, in fact, the bill known as the Defend, uh, Defending the Integrity of Voting Systems Act passed the chamber last week with little fanfare uh, on Wednesday night by unanimous consent, which requires the sign-off of all the senators. It would allow the Justice Department to pursue federal charges against anyone who hacks voting systems used in federal elections under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. This bill was introduced by uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, Democratic Senator of Rhode Island, Richard Blumenthal, Democratic Senator of Connecticut, and Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina. Oh, well, that explains it. Yeah. well, The reason that it it gets through. Well, and it had cleared the Judiciary Committee in May, uh, which, uh, as I note, uh, Jin, uh, Lindsey Graham uh, leads. And actually, it was the Ju- Judiciary Committee, not the Intelligence Committee that uh, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, spoke to. Get to that in a moment. So uh, the uh, Blumenthal said our legislation to protect voting machines will better equip the Department of Justice to fight back against hackers that intend to interfere with our elections. Graham added that the bill, quote, provides the Department of Justice the ability to investigate and prosecute those who seek to manipulate election systems equipment and would help protect us from further attempts to interfere with the 2020 election, which apparently Lindsey Graham still at least has some concerns about. The Justice Department warned in 2018 that the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, as it is currently written, does not, in fact, prohibit the act of hacking a voting machine in many common situations. Who knew? In general, they said, the uh, CFAA only prohibits hacking computers that are connected to the Internet. And they note that in many conceivable situations, electronic voting machines will not meet those criteria as they are typically kept off the Internet according to the Attorney General's Cyber Digital Task Force in a recent report. Consequently, should hacking of a voting machine occur, the government would not, in many conceivable circumstances, be able to use the CFAA to prosecute the hackers. Now, I need to clear up a little point here. It's actually a big point, but uh, you hear often that the voting machines, oh, they're not connected to the Internet. Well, often they are not connected to the Internet. In most cases, they are not directly connected to the Internet. However, the devices that are used to program those systems are almost always connected to the Internet. So in the case of what we heard back in uh, 2016, well, we only heard recently, but about these spear phishing attacks to... Uh, The private vendors and counties uh, in Florida and North Carolina and such, these spear phishing attacks that uh, ended up getting access to the computers of the private voting system vendors and the uh, county workers and so forth. Those computers that may have been accessed here are used to program those voting machines and those tabulators, which you'll hear people say, oh, they're not connected to the Internet. Well, maybe, but uh, and often they are. But even in cases where they are not, they are 
you know, programmed by computers that are connected to the Internet and therefore vulnerable to this type of hacking. Uh, this law now would apparently close that gap and uh, allow federal prosecutors to bring charges for hacking against systems, even those that are not immediately and directly connected uh, to the Internet. Other than that, uh, Mitch McConnell is uh, not allowing any election bills, for example, those that would require hand-marked paper ballots, which cannot be hacked uh, for every voter in the country. He says uh, we can't risk federalization of our elections. So he's stopping all of those uh, all of those bills dead in their tracks in the Senate, even though they passed in the U.S. House. And then very quickly now back to the Senate Judiciary Committee on Tuesday, chaired by Lindsey Graham, where Donald Trump's FBI director, Christopher Wray, testified that uh, he says, yes, the Russian government is still trying to interfere with U.S. elections in questioning by Lindsey Graham. Are the Russians still trying to interfere in our election system? The Russians are are absolutely intent on trying to interfere uh, with our elections through through foreign influence. Everything we've done against Russia has not deterred them enough. All the sanctions, all the talk, they're still at it. Well, my view is until they stop, they haven't been deterred enough. And they're still doing it. Yes. Yes. So says the FBI director appointed by Donald Trump. Hey, Lindsey Graham, why don't you tell your good golfing buddy and the man who sits in the Oval Office sullying it? Why don't you let him know about these concerns? Or are you scared? Quick break. And we're back with the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Uh, remember earlier in the program, uh, what was it, 15,600 uh, Americans have been killed, who are now dead, who would not otherwise have been dead were it not for the Republican states which refused to expand Medicaid as is paid for by the Affordable Care Act. So they're killing 15,000. They're trying to get rid of Obamacare entirely, which would then kill 22,000 people a year who did not have to die year after year after year. Well, that is not enough for these so-called conservatives, at least not the one in the White House uh, who is now taking action to make sure that we will continue to uh, increase brain damage in children. Is that a fair way to put it, Desi Doyen? Yes, Am I being unfair? Am I being too harsh? Sadly, no. Sadly, no. As explained in our latest Green News report. 
EPA has found, based on all of those studies and animal studies, that this pesticide causes brain damage to children, permanent brain damage. Trump EPA refuses to ban dangerous pesticide. It's not just the heat, it's definitely the humidity this time. Intense heat wave exposes fragile U.S. infrastructure, plus... A new ordinance would require new buildings to be all electric, so natural gas stovetops and gas-powered heat would be phased out. Berkeley, California becomes first city in U.S. to ban natural Natural gas in new homes. Naturally. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You know, it's interesting about plastic straws. So, you have a little straw. But what about the plates, the wrappers, and everything else that are much bigger, and they're made of the same material? Right. Let's get rid of those, too. What is wrong with that guy? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, so the Trump campaign uh, is apparently trolling the world. They are now selling plastic Trump-branded straws at their campaign website. (laughs) Yes, yes, they are. The Trump 2020 campaign is going all in for plastic pollution. The campaign is selling Trump-branded plastic straws at $1.50 apiece to help their voters really stick it to the libs by making plastic pollution worse, even as the rest of the world is moving to stop plastic pollution by switching to non-plastic straw alternatives. That said... I don't think they really are sticking it to the libs. If you look at those straws on the website, it says underneath them, recyclable, reusable. So they're actually selling permanent straws. I think this is actually a good thing. Well, don't tell them because they claim that liberal straws don't work. I see liberal straws. All right, what else you got for us that isn't insane today, Desi? Well, the worst of that intense heat wave has passed for most of the U.S. now, but it is worth noting the toll. At least seven deaths, including a 32-year-old former NFL football player, hundreds of outdoor events across the country canceled, including the New York City Triathlon. The heat triggered power outages in New York, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Roads were buckled and cracked in South Dakota and Kansas. And this latest bout underscores the brittleness of our infrastructure and how our systems are not really designed to withstand the higher temperatures of man-made global warming. So while June 2019 was the hottest June ever recorded globally since record-keeping began in the 1880s, July 2019 is now on track to be the hottest month ever in recorded history, beating the record set just in 2016. Climate scientists say that these record heat waves that we see today will become the average summer temperature within the next 20 years if we fail to cut emissions. So this heat wave that most of the U.S. just saw will be a normal summer day in just a few years. Yep, and that is bad news for the nation's farmers. This extreme heat wave was a one-two-three punch for the agriculture industry. Farmers are already suffering body blows from this spring's historic floods in the Midwest and President Trump's trade war with China. CNBC reports that record flooding in the Midwest and the Great Plains caused at least $3 billion in damage so far this year, and farmers are worried that the timing and intensity of this latest heat wave may stunt the growth of their crops, which they had to 
plant later than usual due to soggy soil. I went looking for sweet corn in the grocery store the other day. Could not find any. Meanwhile, in Washington, the Trump Environmental Protection Agency has refused to ban a dangerous pesticide, chlorpyrifos, that the EPA's own scientists say causes permanent brain damage and learning disabilities in children exposed to it. The Obama administration had planned a full ban on the toxic pesticide, but the Trump EPA suspended that and will allow its use at least through 2022 on more than 50 food crops. It's a victory for chemical companies like Dow Chemical, which coincidentally gave $1 million to the Trump inauguration fund. (laughs) Patty Goldman, an attorney with the nonprofit environmental law group Earth Justice, told Democracy Now! that the EPA is only delaying the inevitable. The only legal action is for EPA to ban it. And that's what we are going to make happen through the courts. It will happen. It's just a question of how long it will take and how many children will suffer, how many families will suffer from learning disabilities and acute poisonings in the meantime. Yeah, well, you know, Donald Trump's inauguration is not going to pay for itself. Finally, there is some good news. The City Council of Berkeley, California, has become the first city in the nation to ban the installation of natural gas in new home construction. The groundbreaking shift in building codes will begin in January, and it's intended to cut the city's contribution to greenhouse gas emissions that cause dangerous man-made global warming. Well, don't tell Donald Trump. His campaign will begin selling Donald Trump-branded natural gas stoves just to stick it to the libs. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I was just going to say that rebuilding and upgrading all the buildings in the United States away from natural gas to electricity to cut our emissions is a huge jobs engine, especially for the construction industry. Well, there you go. There's that. But I want to go back uh, to those Donald Trump straws. That yes. you were complaining about. <laughs> yes. Look, they're a buck fifty a piece. I know. How stupid do you have to be to pay a buck fifty for a straw and then throw it away? I argue it's a good thing. They're reusable. They're recyclable. And if they walk around and use those straws instead of uh, you know cheap single-use plastic straws, I think that's ultimately a good thing. Well, all plastic straws technically are reusable. However, most municipal recycling programs don't take straws. I think you owe an apology to the uh, <laughs> to the chance. MAGA people. Alright, thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Uh, and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com of course, that is uh, available for free. Thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. We do it without uh, corporate support, without political support. We do it only with your support at bradblog.com slash donate, which allows us to be as snarky as we want to be. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That is it until we meet again tomorrow at Muller time. I'm Brad Friedman. 
Good luck, world.